0: grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader, Manager, Coach. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another edition. Now on this episode, I'm going to talk about why I think you should be believing in yourself more than you actually do. And this is related to the lessons of history and the speed of evolution. Now this week I've been asked to evaluate myself on two two fronts, which is a good thing in one way and I don't know how you feel when anybody asks you to evaluate yourself on the things you do. It might be your work, it might be your roles and your responsibilities, or it might be a certain area of your life that people want you to feed back on where they feel that you are and you have to fill in a form or give some feedback as to where you actually are on on certain spectrums in terms of your competencies, etc. And that was something that I had to do this week, which uh, I generally find quite uncomfortable because I wrestle. And I'm sure you do too. I don't know whether you can relate to this. Do you wrestle with the, the idea of well, actually, um, you might think that you're really good at this or that, and then you consider, well, what will the other people think who are analysing this and look at this? And one of the things that's really been prominent for myself is to be as much as possible and, and as, uh, to aim to be 100%, I suppose, but to be absolutely independent of the good opinion of other people and to follow the line of, as Joseph Campbell so famously wrote, to follow your bliss and do what you feel is right and do what you wish to do and do and be the person that you feel that you were you were born to be if you like and to to follow your own path without paying heed to what you're advised to do or or what other people think you should do and I'm sure that there's many many hours and even more than that days if you like of discussions on that subject but um, and I don't know where you stand on that on that spectrum about being being yourself Um, you know if you follow the the great leaders of history, if you like, and the eminent people who are often quoted, and uh, you know from 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 Shakespeare, it says, you know, he he, he quoted um, to thine own self be true. Above all else, to thine own self be true. And you know, Emerson and the great leaders of history all advocate that we follow our own path and be be ourselves. So sometimes when you're evaluating yourself, how do you how do you actually evaluate yourself in terms of those things that you have to do and along that along that note and along that vein this week I re revisited a book and related to football coaching and relating to to, to the sport we love so much it, it's a book that it's likely that not many of us have, have seen before and it's one called Soccer Science and it's by a, a real great player ...from the past called George Easton. It's a beautiful hardback edition. I love books. It's a beautiful hardback edition. And it's jam-packed full of beautiful photographs. Great content. Exacting detail. And examples and commentary... ...that make it a wonderful volume. And... I can't tell you where you can get a copy of this. I have no idea whether it's still available. It was originally published by Quadrangle Books in Chicago, amazingly enough. It's called Soccer Science, How to Play and Win. George Eastman, and Ken Jones. It's got contributions by some other great players from the past. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, Les Cocker, who was a Leeds United in England Um, In those days, they were called a trainer, so he would have been a physiotherapist today. Um, Training and fitness. I'm sure there's a chapter by um, Joe Baker from Nottingham Forest on England. And there's a chapter by Cliff Jones, who played for Wales and Spurs. Jack Charlton, the famous Jack Charlton, Leeds United in England. Dave Mackay, the famous, again, Tottenham and Scotland player. George Cohen, part of the uh, England World Cup winning side from 1966. And Bill Brown, who does a goalkeeping section. It is a fantastic book. I will admit that I've gone through it with a speed reading approach so that I could get the information out for you. And it is something I will endeavour to go back and and for my own benefit, really, to uh, read it you know with, with more diligence but it's a beautiful book and the thing that struck me about it was that if you didn't realize with hindsight or foresight that what you were reading was written in 1966 so from our current standpoint of 2018 that's over half a century to go uh, ago when some of you who are listening to this weren't even born. It probably seems a, a time when you can hardly relate it to the, to the present day in terms of how we view our, our status, our current situation, our life, and everything that we do compared to how it was in the 1950s and 1960s. It probably seems eons away. And what struck me about reading this book was if you didn't know that it was published in 1966, if you had no idea who George Graham was and the other co-authors, the information in that book is virtually as relevant today and is as apt and appropriate today in the game as it was then. And I found that quite astounding when we consider the evolutionary process that that we we think has gone on in the game and yes as we all know our sport our life our everything change seems to change so much so maybe we don't use cassette tapes anymore we don't really use dvds like we used to we don't use cd's like we used to our televisions have changed all our Electronic gadgetry has changed the way that we transfer finance. The world of finance, the the speed of everything, has seemingly gone into into the stratosphere. And all those things are are true. All those things are obvious. And all those things are things that you know we're not here to deny and say that they're not true. They absolutely are. And if we take a a more narrow focus and look look at the game that we love so much, and look at the that we would undoubtedly say. Yes, how much has evolved? You look at a grainy black and white picture from, from the 1950s and 1960s in terms of the game or your sport, or take a vision of, the, of your industry as it was 50 years ago, and it will be drastically different. However, in this, when you read this book, if you get an opportunity to read this book, you actually realise that fundamentally not everything changes at the same rate and the same speed and often the real key fundamentals of things stay the same now just as a little backstory as or or a little side story before I get into the into the some of the nitty-gritty of this book which I I do hope that some of you will be able to find a copy or at least get hold of something that's that, that can reference it um I've also been I'll give, I'll give the credit to a couple of great people who, who create some great content. And if, you, if you're if you not yet joined up with these people online or you don't subscribe to their websites or their content, I can't, cannot recommend them highly enough. One of them is called Brian Johnson, who's got a website resource called Optimize. And another one is a guy called Ryan Holiday. I think I've I'm pretty sure I've referenced him before. He produces. He's a bit of, of a prolific reader and a prolific writer and a commentator, but produces some amazing work. And both of these guys this this week have had had content that that's come across my path. How many of you relate to that? When sometimes you're not looking for something, but something comes across your path, which reference things from 2,000 years ago. They're talking about uh, great. Great people from, from, from 2000 years ago, Marcus Aurelius and the Stoic philosophers and Epictetus and people like that who, who commentate, were commentating on society as it was then. And, when, and again, what is absolutely amazing is that as you look and read those those extracts and those essays, you could be reading about the world as it is today. So what I'm essentially saying is people don't do not fundamentally change at that speed. So that the evolution of of things, if you like, or the evolution of knowledge and the and the development of technology, yes, that advances and that develops. But fundamentally, the human being and the associated facets of being a human being, whether that's your sporting excellence or your attributes essentially evolve at what is seemingly a much slower rate. So what's the lesson from that? Well, for me, the lesson, th- there's a few lessons, and maybe I'll come to those at the end, but I just wanted to go, so I'll come back to those in a minute, but I wanted to go back to go into this book because I think it's such such a great thing. So in this book, George Easton, and I've got a few notes, so excuse me if you hear a page or two, journey, journey. George Easton talks about the and this is a book written in the 1960s, don't forget. This, he talks about how it's so easy to get overwhelmed with the jargon that's being used. So in the 1960s, he's talking about the jargon that's being used in the 1960s when the game seemed to us much simpler. So even then, they they thought that, that people were introducing jargon into the game at that point when we actually probably think back now and think, well, it was a jargon-free simple game then. Well, that is not how they viewed it. So they view it, viewed the game exactly the same way as we did, that wasn't it great when it was a simple game. And that's how many of, um, how, how often you hear, you know, people who are, who, who are older, people who are um, a more experienced think, well, wasn't the game different, but wasn't it much simpler then? Well, they thought the same thing. So it's amazing, isn't it, how things are the same. He talks about ball control and how to develop ball control and how fundamental ball control is in the game. And isn't that something that today in our Youth Coaching Awards, in terms of how we are overly obsessed sometimes with the number of touches that players get and the ball rolling time that, that occurs in training sessions, how we are still obsessed and rightly so in terms of what we want to get out of it, about how it, it all these things are there to develop young players ball control. He goes on to say that it's okay having the skill, but it's no good having the skill if you don't know how to use it. And I think All we've done today is we've repackaged that. And when we talk about the four corners, the technical, the tactical, the psychological, social, and the physical, we just repackage that and say, well, in the psychological corner, that's the decision-making process of when to know what to use and when. So, i.e., don't overplay, because we all know players, don't we, who do things for the sake of it. It might not be even in your sport. It might be in another area of your life when people do things for the sake of doing it instead of doing it for the efficiency process to actually create the maximum outcome. He then goes on to a chapter about passing and he talks about the speed of passing and how important it is for a team to move the ball quickly. I mean, this is stuff that you will hear on FA coaching courses in 2018. It's not necessarily just the technique of passing the ball which is fundamentally essential but at the higher levels of the game it's how quickly you move the ball and keep control of it he talks about the different types of passing with the beautiful detail and i think sometimes this is where the the late great dick Bate superseded so many other people is he was amazing at describing the detail of how we do things and that's sometimes where maybe it's a time factor that we don't have in training sessions that we gloss over those facts and don't quite have the time to give players the technical detail. Or maybe we do at the younger age groups. He talks about playing into space. He talks about taking advantage of, of space and moving defenders. Again, this could be from a training course in 2018. From there, he he does a chapter on shooting. What does he talk about? The absolute value of a first time shot. And why? The absolute value of being balanced when you shoot so that you can control the the trajectory of the ball. And this one hit me harder than most in the book because I've not long come off the back of studying some of Pep Guardiola's philosophy and... One of the things from Pep Guardiola's philosophies, which obviously he's developed from his time at Barcelona and come down from Johan Krauf and come down from Rani's Michels and so on and so on and so on, it's passed on, is that Pep Guardiola classifies in his mind and to his players that a, a hard, low, near post-cross is worth half a goal. Well, that's a great a great way of looking at it. So it's worth half a goal because obviously in his mind it's so effective that it's halfway to a goal. Well, in 1958, George Easton, in the 1966 book, George Easton referenced Brazil from the 1958 World Cup of how successful they were at creating goals from near post crosses. That's 60 years ago. So. Pep Guardiola's cutting edge, leading edge, premiership winning team that, that has a constituent part of his philosophy about near post crosses is actually 60 years old, at least, if not longer, which is, for me, was an astounding fact. He talks about dribbling and how it's appropriate in certain areas. So in a, how how often would we coach young players that to dribble is is a fantastic skill set and something to be utilized in the final third probably he goes on to talk about support play and again this is a real thing that hit me hard is that he talks about linking up and creating space and creating angles and i've just been again come off reading in my in um Marcello Bielsa's philosophy about why you create angles because it gives you more more space. And 60 years ago, George Easton was saying exactly the same thing, maybe with not the same amount of scientific thought process and rationalization behind it, but he was saying the same thing. And then further on into the book again, which is absolutely brilliant, he actually breaks up the the team into the, the specific Position. So he talks about fullbacks and what does he say about fullbacks? He, sh- he says above all else, fullbacks should be excellent defenders. They should be tough. They should be able to block. They should be able to tackle. They should be able to head it and, and they should be positionally aware. But they also should be prepared with speed to get forward and support the attack. Again, that could come out of a 2018 textbook for the roles and responsibilities of a fullback. He talks about midfielders getting up and getting down, supporting the attack and supporting the defence and winning the ball back. He talks about forwards, yes, being excellent at their forward play, not dropping too deep to become ineffective, but being in the appropriate positions to actually affect the game in that final third. In addition, though, he talks about the deep lying centre forward, which is double referenced by Jack Charlton's centre half um, chapter, where Jack talks about the difficulties he had in the first half of a game playing against a Scottish centre forward who... Confused him by dropping basically into midfield. And in the first half, Jack was lured away from his centre-half roles and responsibilities area of defending the central area of the goal. Which, that's what his primary responsibility was. And I believe the primary responsibility of a centre-half remains today to defend the central areas of the pitch in front of the goal. Um, He talks about how he was lured out by this number 10, in inverted commas, And how in the second half of the game, he had had to and learnt very quickly to adjust his responses, continue to defend his area, and he had a much better outcome. And alongside that, Jack talks about, and it's Jack Charlton's particular chapter, where he talks about the absolute vital importance of units playing together because he references in this particular game how the fullbacks played wide because they were drawn out to mark defenders, and he was isolated with too much space between him and the next player in defense. So as we all know, it's that lateral compactness that's important in, in any unit, because if units are spread out, um, and they are not in touch with each other, and not able to be in touch with each other. The spaces between them, very simply, are too big, and people play, and other teams play play through you. So it's those connections and those relationships that are important, and it it was as important then as it is now. And as I've said four or five times before, this could have been written in twenty eighteen. There's a physicality section where they talk about what do you need in the game. You need explosive power. Now, never ever has. There's been a time when explosive power has been extrapolated as a major, major facet characteristic of a brilliant player than in the last 10 years. It's that power that, that people have said, you know, this is where the game's at. And they were talking about this in the 1960s, referencing the 1950s. So how much have things changed? This, this trainer talks about the rehabilitation process and how it's so important to do appropriate rehabilitation exercises within the limitations of the recovering injury so that the player can maximize his, his speedy return. This is 60 years ago. And we think that we've got all this boxed down in the 21st century sports science. Well, I actually think that we're a little bit deluded and we need to be a little bit more humble and look back and reference some things and not be so keen to, th- to throw things out because we maybe maybe are doing a disservice to ourselves by doing a disservice to the people who've gone before us. So having said that and having got a little bit on a, on a soapbox in the last couple of minutes about it, um it's a, it's an awesome little little book it's a beautiful volume and yes maybe you'll be able to get hold of it and may, maybe you won't but i hope there's some lessons in there and as i said earlier on what what are the lessons that come out of that well hopefully there's lessons for you that are lessons for you they they may not be the same ones so for me it said that you know if you're if you're in your you know if you think you've been in the game for a long time and you think well actually per- perhaps i am a little bit of a dinosaur well That's only a perspective. You probably know an awful lot more that's relevant to the game than the 21st century commentators are leading you to believe. You probably know an awful lot more about the game that's absolutely appropriate that is the same and is as successful today and and can influence things today, even though you possibly are led to believe that things have changed because yes, things do change, but believe you me, that there's very little that suddenly becomes totally out of fashion and cannot be used or the essence of it in terms of the human being that you throw away and is no longer relevant. That doesn't say that things aren't discovered that mean that we were barking up the wrong tree. Yes, that's evolution and that's the way that, that things go and we have to be prepared for that but I think that we all need to be a little bit more humble and we need to look back and um, with a little bit more reverence at what the people before us knew and went through and fortunately documented for us. So a few lessons from history and how the slow speed of evolution has a bearing on us and our self-confidence in what we do. I hope you found that useful. Um, It's Rob Riles, leader, manager, coach. If you want to contact me, Um, I'm on LinkedIn and um, the website is www.robryles.co.uk Thanks for listening, catch you again, bye bye.